On this episode of the SNSW Podcast, the NBA and NHL have begun the second round of their respective playoffs. We'll discuss the matchups and let you know which teams have the edge. We'll also discuss how the Bruins and Celtics have responded to losing key members of their rosters, with the Bruins goaltender Tuka Rask opting out after Game 3 of the first round, and the Celtics losing forward Gordon Hayward to yet another ankle injury. All this and more, but it's all relative. Welcome to episode two of the SNSW podcast. I'm Craig D'Alessandro, EP of the SNSW Network. If this is your first time finding us, welcome. We're thrilled to have you here with us. The SNSW podcast is a one-hour weekly, two-hour monthly podcast recapping the biggest stories in the world of sports with the New England flavor. The show notes and transcript of today's episode can be found in the description box below, as well as our WordPress and Buzzsprout pages. Be sure to hit that subscribe button if you have not already. It's the easiest way to see when we publish new episodes. We are on iTunes, Spotify, Google, and wherever you generally find your podcast. Be sure to rate us and leave a review of any of our shows. Not like our egos need to be inflated any more than they already are. And follow us on social media. All of our links will be in the show notes. On this week's show, we have Rayshon Buchanan, Bob Kelly, Dave Clark, and our host for this week's show is Michael Marcangelo. And Mike, today's show is being recorded Tuesday, August 25th, and published Thursday, August 27th. We are in the second round of the NBA and NHL playoffs, and the Celtics are playing a team from Canada and Florida, and the Bruins are playing a team from Florida and Canada. It's pretty on brand for 2020. Yeah, I was just about to say, Craig, there is nothing more 2020 than that last sentence that you just had, and thank you so much for the, for the great intro. Uh, as you said, welcome everyone to week two of the SNSW podcast. I am Michael Marcangelo, joined by DK Sizzle, Dave Clark, the real BK, Bob Kelly, Sean Buchanan, and the greatest producer in the history of producing, Craig D'Alessandro. And today we have a lot to talk about. We're going to be going through the Boston Bruins playoff journey, starting with the Carolina Hurricanes, transitioning to the game, uh, to the series now with the Tampa Bay Lightning. We're also going to focus a lot on the NBA. We're going to talk about the NBA round one, uh, all, all the series that, that went on there in the review, and then round two as well. And then obviously we're going to end with the Celtics. And lodged in there is going to be a little bit of a, of a, of a preview of our championship rewrap uh, that dropped Tuesday. So loved, I want to get that plug out there. There's going to be more of that to come. So uh, we don't have a lot of time, boys. So I'm going to start off with the Bruins. Um, the Bruins were, uh, were able to take care of the Carolina Hurricanes in, a, in five games. They won four games to one. Um, there was a lot of, of news and noteworthiness in that series, and not a lot of it came from what happened on the ice. Uh, as you guys all know, Tuka Rask uh, was not playing well, number one, uh, did not sound like he wanted to play well or cared about playing well, number two, and then right before game three, he opted and left. So I'm going to open this up uh, to, to Bobby first. What is the impact of Tuca leaving? Can the Bruins recover? Does it even matter? So I know we've spoke about this multiple times, Mike. When it comes to Tuca Rask and him leaving the bubble, honestly, I believe that they are better off without him. And I think the stats do show that at this point. Since Tuca Rask has left the team, or we'll, we'll back up a little bit, prior to Tuca Rask leaving the team, in the playoffs, they were one and three, including the bubble. Since he has left, they are 4-1. and one. Their goals against average has gone from almost three goals a game down to two. The stats show it. The play shows it. The emotion shows it. Everything that we've seen from the Bruins since Tuchel Rask has opted out and left his team has shown us that this is a completely different hockey team when they have a goalie that actually cares about what's happening and actually – is, is putting his heart and pride on the ice every single night. And I think, I think the show, I think the play that we've seen absolutely shows that. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. I was, you know, when that announcement came out, I think like everyone else, I was just, I read the press release and was, I just couldn't believe what I was reading, right? I, we've talked about this on our, on our two-hour show a couple of weeks back when we said, you know what, if you didn't want to show up, just don't. No one's going to hold it against you. But it didn't, like, like we talked about, it didn't sound like he wanted to be there. But I think what's interesting is now, uh, based on the play of the team, um, and, and DK, I know that you also said this too, um, it doesn't look like they needed him, and it also looks like they're doing better without him, but is that sustainable? 
Well, hockey's a weird sport for this kind of stuff, I think. You know, I think in any sport, you're going to have a tough time when one of your major players comes out after the game and the, like it happened with the Bruins in these seeding games and starts to kind of act like he doesn't want to be there. Starts to talk about not really caring about hockey in August. And that's just going to deflate the locker room in any sport. But in hockey especially, I've noticed, at least correct me if I'm wrong, I think you can get a goalie that may not be a star player to get hot really easily. There's a kind of a luck of the puck thing going on sometimes in a hockey series where you could dominate for a long time and it, it, you can just get punished coming up the other end. You know what I mean? There's, there's so many intangibles in, in a hockey team where we've seen goalies you've never heard of start standing on their head and take, take a team the whole way, you know, to win the cup. Is it sustainable? Absolutely. Have we seen examples of situations like this in hockey specifically having like being sustained? Totally. Does it in, in retrospect show how much of a poison Rask actually was in the locker room? A little bit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, Rayshon, I know that in the, in the pre-show, you had a little bit to, to add about this too. What do you think right now? Uh, what's the state of the Bruins? How can they do without Rask? And, and I'll ask you the question again. Are they a cup-worthy team without, that, without him and in, in behind that? Uh, well, yeah. Um, so, you know, I feel like Halak's been a nice find in replacing, you know, Tuka Rask. You know, kind of like, as we mentioned before, you know, goaltending is kind of crucial for any team um, that's looking to make a long postseason run. And I just felt like, you know, with him leaving the team, you know, it, it seems like it's going to be a blessing in disguise. You know, usually when you lose a, a player of that caliber, you know, it's, it usually serves as a major blow to the team. But right now, with how they end up beating Carolina and them already being 1-0, up 1-0 against Tampa Bay, it just seems that they're rallying around each other and they're saying, you know what? The guys that are here, we're going to do this. We're going to make it happen. We're cup contenders, and we're ready to show the world that we're ready to um, to get back to the finals again for the second year in a row. Yeah, I think also um, just to kind of bring you back in in here, Bobby. I think uh, was it you or was it me? Like, did you notice that after Tuco left, Pasternak was no longer injured and he was able to come back and play pretty well? Is is that a coincidence? It absolutely is not. Um, you know, like I was saying, the when it comes to hockey, the biggest thing when it goes through these Stanley Cup playoffs is the heart and the will of the team to actually get down to it and 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 do what needs to be done to win that Stanley Cup. It's been said since the beginning of hockey, since I've been watching hockey, that the hardest trophy to win in all of sports is Lord Stanley Cup. For you to have someone that you need to rely on every single night that literally is the backbone of your team and makes your team run, for you to feel that that absence of, of passion, of emotion, and the willingness to do anything to get you to that point it is something that's immeasurable. And in my opinion, like what you're saying, they are better off without Tukarask, 100%. And I think, uh, you know, I, I definitely agree with you. I, I, I want to hear a little bit more about, like, what does this say? And we'll talk more about the Tampa Bay series uh, coming up. But so in, in my opinion, and again, I'll open this up to everybody else, but now that they've made it out of the first round, isn't he less relevant? Like, if they had lost the first round series, you'd say, well, if you had Tuca, you'd be fine. If you win it now and you, and you make it just a little bit of a deep playoff run, you don't need him. I mean, I don't know if he, I don't know if he's trade-worthy, but if you're in the front office of the, of the Bruins, uh, uh, DK Sissel, what do you do? Well, for right now, I think he's, re- he's relevant as bulletin board material. You know what I mean? It's like, your guy's gone. Like, this, your, your, your starting goalie's gone, and look how well we're already doing. You know what I mean? You, you don't have to say it out loud in the locker room, but, I mean, my experience listening to hockey coaches, they probably are saying it directly, you know? They're probably standing there going, yeah, some people didn't want to hack it. Some people didn't want to play hockey in August, but look at what you guys are doing. You can now point to a specific run of success without him that is provable now across the rest of the playoffs. As far as the front office goes, it's, it's about public relations now, and I think they're doing a wonderful job of it already. It's, it's Tuca comes out, oh, this emergency happened, you know, like, fine, if it did or if it didn't, that's just good for his trade value. That's just good for stock at this point. Like, if you're the Boston Bruins, it's in your best interest to keep the team mad, the fans, meh, and all the rest of the NHL interested in Tuka Rask because you know he's not coming back to Boston. Meanwhile, he was playing golf the day after he got back from his family emergency. Shades of Josh Beckett from 2012. Yeah, but, yeah, but didn't he at least have the, the, the balls to say, I'm just not, I'm just going to go play golf or go on the lake with my family. He didn't lie. He just said he was going to do it. Right. And I think, uh, I, I think to compare Beckett and Tuca is a little bit different. I think, you know, 
Beckett won a championship. Tuca really hasn't. So you, I think Beckett takes the nod there. But for, for the Bruins now, in this series against Tampa Bay, a couple of things that I've noticed, Tampa Bay's fast. And, and they have a ton of skill. I think where, where, the, where the Bruins kind of had the edge there is they are a bit edgier and they have a little bit of grit. I don't know if I'm the only one that noticed that. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the Lightning, I think, in my opinion, are absolutely a more talented team than the Bruins. Um, there's no doubt about that. They have the depth. They have the star power from top to bottom. Um, but what the Bruins have right now is a, like we were saying, a hot goalie that game one, Yaroslav Halak won that game for the Bruins. He stood on his head all night, um, until the third period, he had a shutout going, um, they got two goals in on him. Um, but again, Hedman is an absolute stud. Um, he, he, when it comes down to it, when it comes down to clutch moments in a hockey game, that's someone that you can always rely on. And I think the Bruins did a great job of shutting them down the entire game with that uh, heavy checking that they've been doing. And their forecheck that last game was absolutely on point. Um, every time the, the Lightning thought they were comfortable in their own zone, uh, DeBrusque was right there, Pasternak's right there, Case is right there, um, just chipping away at that puck, using that R1 button, like you said, DK. I have a question. What if Stamkos comes back? Then what? So I actually read on the Tampa Bay Times or whatever that their uh, newspaper is down there. Um, it doesn't seem that his return is coming. Um, I know he's been one of the better players uh, in the league since he's been in, but um, I feel like their chances of winning go down drastically without having him in the lineup. Um, and I know Tampa's been considered one of the more you know talented teams in the NHL um, really for the last you know four or five years, but. Um, with someone that is that uh, that is that that's that big of a star, um, and obviously you know stars win in any league, but you know someone who I believe you know he's he's a center, right? He's a center for them, I believe. Um, you know, so someone that plays that prominent of a position, like even though they have talent around them, like they haven't always cashed in on that talent, and like it, it may it may be even harder uh, for them to win without having someone like him in the lineup. So that to me is what makes them rallying around Halak and everything like that even bigger is because in hockey, the stars, yes, it is important to have those big names on the team, but there is no other sport like hockey where if you can just rally around one cause, one thing and play real team hockey, a team that's the eight seed can go all the way and win the Stanley cup. We've seen it multiple times within the last 10 years, the ducks um, we saw, uh, the, uh, I believe the Penguins were a well-received when they won. I, I'm, it really depends on what you have around you and that team camaraderie. I mean, we just saw an expansion team, the Golden Knights, go to the Stanley Cup last year. You know, it, it really the – more, the more emotion and the more passion you have on a hockey team, the further you're going to go. And the hotter your goalie, again, the further you're going to go. That's just facts, something we've seen. And it's the playoffs too, right? I mean, it's it- – it's when you get to playoff hockey, everybody's mentality is found out. You know what I mean? If you, if you have a team that might've been hot in the regular season, I, I know that we say in basketball all the time that, that the seasons, it's a different season once you hit the playoffs, but in hockey, it's so true. It becomes almost a different sport. You know, I know it's a cliche. We've like, we've heard that a million times, but it becomes almost a different sport and everybody gets found out if they're mentally weak right away. You know, I mean, we've seen it happen to the Bruins in the past too, you know, where it's right, right away. You just see them. I mean, I think now we're kind of starting to see what the, the cracks in that team were, but you have seen them come up short mentally before. And we've also seen them rally around great Tim Thomas performances that take us all the way. So it's, yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Bob. It's like, if you don't, if you have a gritty team that them are pl- like a plucky underdog, they have such a better chance in hockey of going all the way than in, in basketball, because it's just going to come down to the to talent in basketball. I'm sure we'll get to that later, but you can just hit a little bit harder in a hockey series. You know, you can just work a little bit harder. You can just play to every whistle. You know what I mean? So it's, it becomes a, a little bit more about heart and grit, which I think is a, another great thing about playoff hockey. Yeah. And, and to that point, Dave, you know, when the Bruins went 0-3 in the, to shut off the bubble, I thought that's what we were seeing. I thought they assumed that, you know, that this was the new playoffs that they weren't taking it seriously and that that's what we were going to get. And apparently – I was wrong. Like they actually can flip the switch because it looks like, you know, it may have taken their number one goaltender, one of their highest paid players to have to leave in order for that switch to be flipped. But it happened. Um, I'm like, I'm just wondering, you know, I, I know we've, we've seen runs like that before, but Thomas was kind of a 
a, a proven uh, known commodity in, in 2011, right? He had, he had a few, uh, a couple of seasons under his belt. Halak doesn't uh, in terms of in, in Boston. So like, what do you think is going to be the, the biggest uh, factor in this series? And I'm going to ask you guys now to kind of wrap it up. Who's going to win this series and how, how many games? Bruins are going to win the series. I think it's going seven from that first game. If, if that win another 30 seconds, that game is tied. And there's no doubt. There's no doubt about that. So this is a very evenly matched series. I think because of the Tuca factor, because of the Bruins having this rallying point that they do have, um, because like you said, Mike, that first bubble, the for those first three games, that was it was like back to two years again. Bruins. It was the most frustrating hockey I've ever watched in my entire life. As soon as Tuca is out of the picture, as soon as that emotion is back into this team they're the team we saw in the regular season. They're the team we saw go within one win of the Stanley Cup last year. Um, so I think this team has a legitimate shot to not only win this series, and I think it's, it is going to be a great series. I see it going seven, um, but to win the Stanley Cup. I think I really think this team with Halak, with the emotion I'm seeing, with the play I'm seeing, there's good things in, in the Bruins' future and possibly even another episode of, of our, of our uh, rewrap show coming up. Rayshon, what are your thoughts on the series? So I think that um, I think it goes seven as well, too. Mainly, like I said, I, like I talked about, Tampa Bay just has a lot of talent. And because how Luck is an improvement commodity, I just feel like this is going to be a game or two that he's not going to be on his A game and Tampa is going to find a way to score a few goals. So um, I think it goes seven. Like I said, I do think that they're primed and ready to really make a strong run. Um, like I said, we were game seven. We were so close last year. Um, so I, th I think this team really wants to get back there and show what it looked like. Yeah, we lost last year, but we're just as good as we were last year, and we may be even better than last year. Um, so I said, I think once they beat them in seven, it, it won't matter who they face in the conference finals. They'll be going back to the cup finals for the uh, for second year in a row. Uh, just to be a dissenting voice and a homer, I'm going to say Bruins in six. Um, I think I love the momentum. I love the train we're riding right now. And one thing we didn't touch on, but I, I think it is important. You know, he is a goalie and he's, he's on his own and it is that special position. I think looking out at Stanley Cup winners and veterans, um, you know, having a guy like Chara right in front of you, turning around saying, it's going to be all right, kid. Like that's going to, you know, that's going to put you in a different headspace mentally. Like that guy's gone and done it. He's won it. You know what I mean? Burgey, like we, we, we have guys there that can put their arm around him and go, Hey, we're going to get this done. You keep riding that momentum. Like we've seen it happen before, like with our own eyes on this team. So don't worry about it. We're going to go. And now that other guy's out, it's, it's all you. You're the man. This is your moment. Go grab it. You know, it's, it's inspirational. Bruins in six. Yeah. I mean, I think that this game, I think this series is going to go seven. I think that there's not one sport out there that you can actually see momentum uh, take hold more than in playoff hockey, right? Like Bobby was right. If that last game had gone 30 more seconds, we probably, it would have gone to overtime and we probably would have lost because the momentum had shifted. I think that this series is going to go seven. I think the Bruins are going to, uh, uh, they're going to take it. I don't know if they're going to win the cup, but switching, switching gears now because the NHL is not the only playoff right now. The NBA playoffs have been on fire. I love their bubble presentation. And I think that round one of the NBA playoffs, um, there was a lot of exciting moments. Uh, I know that, you know, the three of you are far more invested in the broader NBA. Um, so I'm going to kick it off with, with Rayshon. What are your takeaways from, from round one in the NBA playoffs? So, yeah, th there's a lot. I mean, obviously, I think we have to start with uh, the Dallas Mavericks and Los Angeles Clippers series. Um, we, we've had some conversations off air about Luka Doncic before. Um, the kid is just, he, he's simply amazing. To put up, you know, a 40-point triple-double um, to hit the game winner, you know, the, the confidence is just there. Um, you know, it, it's unfortunate that, you know, Porzingis is out for a second uh, game in a row because they, they played later on this evening, but he'll, he'll, be, he'll be out for that game. But Luka, Luka has supreme confidence of what he can do. Um, I think Brooke Carlisle as a coach has supreme confidence of what he can do. So that's been awesome. The Utah Jazz Series and the Denver Nuggets. If we could find a way at some point to get Donovan Mitchell to Boston, I'll be through the roof. Um, that kid is phenomenal. Um, I think he's also from the New England area. He's from Connecticut. I think he's from New Haven. But to put up 57 in game one, he had a, uh, he had 51 in the last game. Uh, Jamal Murray also had 50 points in that game as well. Um, it's, it's really amazing to see what guys have done in the bubble. They're really, even when we, they had the eight seeding games, I haven't seen really a bad game um, outside of the Washington Wizards. But, I mean, the Washington Wizards. It's, it's, but it's, it's been phenomenal to see those guys go at it, and um, I'm excited to see more. 
Yeah, I mean, I just the NBA did it right. From, from their very first game in the bubble, you never doubted uh, the importance of each game, right? And you never doubted how, uh, how important it was to the players. Again, that, the same couldn't be said for the NHL. But I, I do want to ask a follow-up question to you, Rachel, seeing as you brought it up. What do you, what do you think makes Lucas so special? Like, what is it about his game that's, that just sets him apart from everybody else? I honestly, I really think that it's his confidence. Like, I feel like he thinks he can, he believes that he can get a shot at any given time. And I feel like he always believes that he's going to make the right play. And for someone who's only 21 years old, usually that doesn't happen until you're maybe 25, 26, 27. But the fact that he came in the league because he's already been playing pro ball for where he came from uh, before he got drafted in 2018, it's his confidence. But then on, on top of that, like, it's just the skill set. Like, I still stand by, because I've, I've talked about this off-air with people, like, I feel that he's not the greatest athlete, but like I said, but because his skill set is just so strong, it's just like, it, it just, it, it takes over for whatever he may lack athletic, uh, athletically, but he, he's, just, he's just someone that, that he, he oozes confidence, and like I said, just his skill set from his passing, that step back shot is maybe second only to James Harden, it's, it's unreal, so between the step back the confidence and just his overall skill set. Like, I think that's just, just puts him in a different tier as, as, a, as, a, as a perennial all-star in this league going forward. I saw you shaking your head there, DK. What, what are your thoughts on, on, on Luca? I agree with everything you're saying, except for the non-athletic thing. I, I, think he's, I think he just lets the game come to him so easily that it looks like maybe he doesn't need to use his athleticism. But you saw in game – I think it must have been game – three or maybe game four in this Clippers series. I was the last game, yeah. He is on one leg. Porzingis is injured. He hits that crazy shot in, in o, like in OT to win the entire thing from deep. And you can actually see him adjusting to his ankle injury. Like he's actually like the games, he slowed his game down a little bit. He's like making like adjusting, but he reminds me, honestly, the kid's 21 years old. And I have said this, like, and it sounds hyperbolic, but I really do think if he stays on this track, he's going to be the GOAT. Like the the only thing holding him back is, and I know it's a crazy thing to say this early, but the only thing holding him back in my opinion is maybe injuries. Like if he can, if he can stay as injury free as like LeBron James has for his entire career, which is like, you know, maybe not going to happen because that's pretty crazy what LeBron's been able to do. But if he can, like the numbers he puts up, you know, he's, he's dropping 45 points and getting 18 gritty rebounds, you know, at the same time, like he's, he's going in there and, and, and throwing elbows with guys. He reminds me of the old guy at the Y when you're playing pickup basketball, but he's 21 years old and he's still letting the game come to him like this. It's bonkers. And that's the thing, DK, you just said it, that, that really blows my mind with Luca the most, is he's not just a scorer. This man is just a straight baller. Like, you see him out there, and you know everyone on the court that he's facing is, A, scared of him, and B, they don't really know why that they're scared of him. He, he is just an app. To see him almost barely even be able to walk off the court in game three, and then to come out and have that performance in game four, like me and my buddy, we were sitting here watching that game three. We were like, oh, he's done. Series over. He can't even put weight on it. We'd be shocked if he even played five minutes in the next game. And then not only does this man come out and play in the next game, he scores 43 points, has 17 rebounds, 13 assists, two steals, and a block. Like, are you kidding me? That may- I'm DK. I'm with you, man. He's the GOAT, and he's on that track, and I'm with you. I agree with you. The craziest thing about it is we saw last year, we saw that, that Kawhi Leonard is the best playoff guy we have in basketball right now. Like, if, if you can pick anybody to go into a playoff series with, it's Kawhi Leonard. If you don't think so, like, I, you know, I can't help you. He was guarding Luka. And, like, I'm not saying that Luka was absolutely scorching him, and like, because he wasn't, but he was getting his shots off, and you're kind of like, whoa, okay, all right, Luka, what's up? I mean, he was 18 of 31. Uh, 58% from the field. So he was kind of scorching him. It may not have looked like it, but he wasn't guarding him the whole, he wasn't guarding him the whole game. He, he like, they rotated him off. So he had a, he had a little bit like, he had a little bit more of like scoring threat that he could generate. And also Paul George has been getting open looks and not doing anything. So that's not going to help Kawhi at all. But I, the times, the possessions that I did see him like man, 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 man to man on Luca. I, he didn't burn him, you know what I mean? Kawhi Leonard's still a, an absolute world-class defender. I'm not making the case that, that Luka Doncic is, is going to win that matchup through an entire series. But there was a couple times Luka just made some space for a shot, that he did, and, he was, and he's hurt, where I'm like, that's pretty impressive. 
Is Luca enough to uh, to pull the Mavs uh, past the Clippers? No, he's not. No, Unfortunately, he's not. the Clippers no. are still going to win. So I ha- I have to, you know, this might make Mike uh, proud when I say this, but I-, I have to call out Doc Rivers. There's no way, and I mean no way, <laughs> you have Reggie Jackson on Luca to end the game. I don't care if they're switching off. I mean, you you have to say, look. We know the ball is going to 77. Kawhi, I don't care if he's shooting it from the parking lot. Find him. You have to have your best defender. Yes, Devin Brooker got one on you early in the bubble. Yes, some others have gotten you early in the season with a game winner or a clutch shot. That's cool. Um, and that's going to happen over a course of 82 games. It's going to happen in the playoffs. Other players have great moments. But if, if you are that guy, if you are the best uh, guy in the playoffs, as, as Dave just said, you have to be that guy, not just on offense, but also on defense. And for Doc Rivers, who knows that, you know, because, like, Paul George is absolute trash right now um, on both ends of the floor. So Kawhi's going to be carrying him offensively, but you have to put him on Luka to end that game. If Kawhi's not on him on most possessions tonight or, or going forward in this series, that's a problem. Because I, if, that, if that's the case, Luka better go for 40 again. Um, because when the game, when the game is, is – is, is in, in a weighing balance, like is, is in the last minutes, that guy needs to be on him, plain and simple. If he's not, Doc Rivers should be slandered immediately. And, I, and I, I, I firmly believe that. Yeah, seeing as you brought that up, let me ask you a question. If the Clippers lose to the Mavs in this series, does your opinion of Doc Rivers change? Does it change him? But it's definitely, it definitely goes against him in the it, – it def, it's definitely a neg- negative check in his armor, so to speak. Like – you have all this talent, you know. We've seen when he's had the best talent, he finds he, he has found a way to win. So there's no excuse here. Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Montrezl Harrell, Lou Williams, Landry Shamit, you know, and you know Pat Bev, Pat Beverly when he comes back healthy, they have the requisite pieces. Steve Ballmer has done a phenomenal job with just saying, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna spend whatever um, to get to get you the pieces you need." They better get out the first round. And I said, you know, Doc, I said, you know, you've been considered a good coach, sir, but you have to get out this first round. Yeah, you know, Luca's going to get his, but you need to shut down everybody else. So whether it's Finney Smith, Tim Hardaway Jr., Seth Curry, you know, those guys have to be kind of limited. But, yeah, it's definitely a negative chink in his armor to answer your question if they don't find a way to win the series. I mean, yeah, but everybody has a bad night. You know, like Doc was sleeping through three or four minutes on defensive matchups in, in that last game for sure. But – there's no way he's not going to be able to figure that out. You know, it's on paper. It's just, I, I still think that Lucas should be celebrated for the things that he's done. But I, I think you're crazy. If you think that the Mavs are going to come out of this winners, you know what I mean? Like the Clippers will, they're still the favorites to win the championship. You know what I mean? Nothing's one crazy overtime game. Isn't going to change that. And it's because they have Kawhi Leonard and Kawhi Leonard, you know, is going to play really well in for the rest of the series. And I hate to say it as funny as it is that Paul George has been playing as bad as he has been. He's due to blow up. You know, he's going to have a game where he's like, he's had open looks. It's just not going in the basket. You know, like is Paul George soft a little like mentally is, is he going to be able to shoot himself out of a rut in the middle of a game? No, but, and you know, that's been a criticism of Paul George for a long time, like playoff P like we all know this, but he's going to blow up next game, the game after that. And, all you need is more than one piece moving for the Clippers to, you know, win, win out in the series. I think it's great that Luke has done what he's done, but Porzingis is down. They don't have the pieces to make it out of this round, but it should be celebrated. It's like, you know, when you watch the last dance and there's a whole section dedicated to Michael Jordan doing great against the Celtics. And I was sitting there watching it going, I'm pretty sure the Celtics 4-0 the Bulls that year. And they did. But when you, when you watch the documentary, it's like, but how great was Michael in it, though? You know what I mean? Like, he was, he, we could see something, and that's what we're seeing right now with Luca. Yeah, no, completely agree. Um, so, I, before, before we do move on from this, I do want to touch on one person that I think has showed out in this series that I think is, is someone that we do need to watch moving forward with this Mavs team, and that's Trey Burke. Um, I've been watching Trey Burke since he was with Michigan, and what I've seen from him out of this series is definitely a step in a direction that, not a lot of people saw from him. He, he's been clutch. Last game, he was 25 points plus 17 plus minus on the floor. So, I mean, that, that man has been showing out. But, unfortunately, I do have to agree with all of you. Um, there's, I don't see the Mavericks making it out of this series. Um, like you said, the Clippers are just too talented. But 
like Rayshon said, is definitely a chink in that armor um, when it comes to uh, having this talented of a team and being taken to the brink of elimination uh, against a Luka Doncic-led Dallas Mavericks. Yeah, I think, you know, there are, there are some other moments in, in the first round, obviously, like if the Blazers could have done something other than just win game one and made that an actual series, I think that would have been something we can talk about. But I think Lillard being injured now, that series is all but over. Um, Rockets Thunder, I think the, just the storyline there is will Westbrook play? I, I think, you know, if, if that happens, the Rockets are exponentially better. But I don't, I don't know that if, if that's going to – I don't know if that's going to happen. I think – so if James Harden is the guy that – NBA pundits and NBA fans believe that he is with or without rust. That should be enough to get past OKC. Yes. They're scrappy. Um, yes. They're going to play hard, but I mean, Chris, Chris Paul has been phenomenal. Chris Paul to me should have been in the MVP conversation for what they did this year in Oklahoma city. Say Gilgis Alexander. He's, he's one of the guys we should be looking at coming up next in the NBA. Like he's, he's really talented um, on both ends of the floor, but that series has been good so far. Houston should win it in six, but Houston has to understand that when the when the shots aren't falling from, from three-point land, it's okay to drive to the basket. I know in this wave of analytics, it's all about, well, you know, you got to get the threes, the free throws, and they do a great job with that. That's awesome. But they were like eight of eight or eight of nine in the first half the other night, and then they went like three of 22 in the second half, you know, and OKC ended up winning that game just had a series. So, yes, you could chalk it up as one game, but – Houston has a trend of this where they shoot the lights out, but then they fall in love with the three. And then it gets to a point where someone starts locking them up because the stops are not falling. And then it's like, oh, well, they're not as good as we thought they you know, may have been. No, they're really good, but they just haven't shifted their mindset to saying, okay, if the shots aren't falling, I'm going to get to the cup and either I'm going to make the layup or I'm going to get to the line. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see how that series, rest of that series unfold. I do think Houston was at a six though. Great. And we are going to take just a quick break away from the NBA and just talk a little bit about uh, another one of our podcasts that, that dropped earlier this week. That is uh, the Boston Championship Rewrap, um, episode one, where we focused on the 2001 New England Patriots. This is the brainchild of our own Bob Kelly. And I, I think he did a great job uh, with taking us you know, back into that time machine and to the 2001 season. So, so Bob, like what, you know, now, now that we've done it, you've heard it. What are the things that people should uh, should listen most for in that podcast? I think the thing that that I really tried to get across, or we all really tried to get across into this podcast, was really just the emotion and the memories that go through everyone's mind uh, constantly about these championship seasons. I know I'm constantly reminded and have. Yeah, I mean, I got to completely echo your sentiments there. It was it was just like we were back in 2001, um, and so with, with that. We're going to give you guys just a little bit of a, of a sneak peek uh, of what you can expect from episode one. At the time, we didn't love Bill for this decision, okay? At the time, people thought he was out of his damn mind for picking Tom Brady over. Oh, yeah, people people wanted him out of it. his mind. People wanted him to lose his job because they said, well, look at what, what are you doing in Cleveland. He's right. an offensive guy. What, how does he know what he's talking about? What went on behind the scenes, though, is something that, that none of us will ever know. The conversations that he had with Bledsoe to get that man to put his ego behind him and coach Tom Brady like he did because without Drew Bledsoe, probably, without Drew Bledsoe, there is no 2001 season. You see that rapport. Even in the preseason before before everything starts, you see Bledsoe and Brady together. What are your favorite routes? What do you like? You just want to throw the ball because you want to get on TV. Yeah, guys, as we said, that was a preview of episode one of uh, the championship rewrap highlighting the 2001 New England Patriots season. You can find that on iTunes, Spotify, Google, and wherever you generally get your podcasts. Um, and, and again, I, I'm, I was so just amped up to listen to it, uh, to be a part of it. And I, and I, I can't wait for episode two to drop. So now we're going to, now we're going to go back to the NBA, but we're going to focus on the team that I really want to talk about in the series that I really, really want to get into, because I think that it just highlighted everything that is right with the current coach of the Boston Celtics. And that was the Celtics demolition of the Philadelphia 76ers. I think uh, in this series, you just saw a team that was well-prepared and well-coached and you saw a team that, that just wasn't, did not have any direction to follow. Few things have given me as much pleasure in this life as watching the end of the process and have it be a failure. Watching Jason Tatum just torture 
the Philadelphia 76ers for four games, watching Joel Embiid get tired in 24 minutes and then just look kind of sad for the rest of the game, watching him quit on the series by the end of game two, watching the just desperation moves by, by Brett Brown getting out coached every step of the way. Like, like there was moments where Brad Stevens was leaving guys like Williams and Langford in. I felt like just to toy with Brett Brown, just to like, just to torture him just that little bit, because we didn't even give up leads when those guys were on the floor at the same time, you know, like they had no answers for our guard play. They let Kemba get going. They, they decided to let Kemba, a guy coming in, like trying to work his, his, his knee back, you know, rehab his knee. Well, uh, there's some questionable stuff there. Like, wow, he's had all this time. See, like, why isn't he healthy? We're all a little bit worried. The Celtics handle it perfectly. And the Sixers just gift us 77 open looks for Kemba Walker. It was, I honestly kept pinching myself. I thought I was going to wake up. It's like, is this, is this really going the way that I think? The 76ers, this, this process, pathetic. Absolutely pathetic. If I was, if I was Ben Simmons... I, I wouldn't be looking to try and get out of there. Honestly, I'd be, I'd be kicking up a fuss Kyrie Irving style. Trade me. I don't care. We can't get anything for you. There's no, there's doesn't matter. Talk to my agent, get me out of there because I can't play with Joel Embiid. It's he's just, he's not the answer. Yeah. Okay. You can blame it on Brett Brown if you want. And he definitely got out coached, but you know, the, the, the team is structured so badly. And then look at the contracts they have now. Like, good God, you're looking at Joel Embiid's contract. You're looking at Al Horford's contract. It's like he went there to sabotage them on purpose. He's on 81 million for the next three years. Like, granted, there's some, like, you know, some, some prerequisites he has to meet, which he, he probably won't, but he's on 81 million for three years, and we saw him slow down in Boston. It's, it's, it's hard for me to get hype over something that I expected to happen. I could not be more excited uh, that we smacked Philadelphia. I, I've never seen a team that got so much clout and they haven't even made the conference finals. The process to me is officially done, over, dead, whatever word you want to use. Embiid, although I know there's a lot of fans that I think would want him in Boston because I've been seeing it the last few days. Um, I'm all set because I don't want someone that's going to come in here and, let's say, be tired after, you know, a half of a game or pick and choose when he wants to play. Um, so I, I, uh, I agree with your sentiment, Dave. If I'm Ben Simmons, I'd I like to get out of there as well. Also, I just I loved how Tatum, Brown, and Walker played after Hayward went down. Game one seemed to be Philly's best chance to really steal a game this series. I think they went on, like, on the 13-0 run in the third quarter. You know, it just kind of seemed like, okay, well, maybe, you know, the game is kind of ugly. You know, the game is kind of slowed down. This is kind of, this is how Philly has to play in order for them to win. But then just like that, the Celtics flipped the switch and took the lead. They ended up winning that game by eight. And really that was, that was just that. And I think there's not too many times you can say a series is over after game one, but I legitimately felt like after we won in game one, and I, I said, this is, there's no way that Philadelphia is going to actually win a game in this series. And we talked about them potentially, you know, Embiid having a great game. And, and something, like I said, numbers-wise, it looked good. But in basketball, it's really about when you, when you score those points. So, yeah, that's great that he would score 11 and go 5-5 five five in, in the first quarter. But if you're not doing anything in the fourth quarter or you're in foul trouble or, you know, you're taking 30-foot, uh, you know, 30-foot jumpers when you should be down on the box – um, you know, making tights pay, you're playing into the Celtics' hands. And that's, that's part, that's NB's fault partly. That's Brett Brown's part faultly. Um, and to have $289 million tied up into uh, Tobias Harris and uh, Al Horford um, really is criminal. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a shame because Philly didn't know what to do with Al Horford. Like, they just wanted him there so he wasn't in Boston. And that, that's, that's what really happened. You know what I'm saying? So I, it's, it's unfortunate to see. I wish I could say I hate to see it, but I don't. And really, after we talk about this, I never want to hear Philly as a threat to Boston again. Only thing I want to hear for Philly is me getting the cheesesteak. So. so just real quick, Rayshon, you would rather have Cantor than Embiid. That's basically what you just said. So I, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far with saying I want Cantor over B, but Cantor's going to play hard, even though he runs like someone. Who can't run. Is, yeah, so he can't run at all. He looks like me on the court. I, he, he is, he's still a really good offensive rebounder. Like he's someone um, that, that's going to play hard, you know, and be just really, he, he has to have that dog in him. He, he, he doesn't have that. When you're seven, two, two, six, well, they say too sexy, but he's probably about 285, 290. He really just needs to get into shape. And if he got into shape and really just had that one, two, like he'd easily be the best big man in the league 
because there's nothing he can't do. He can shoot, you know, he plays defense well when, when, he's, when he's invested. The next step for him, really, he has to learn how to pass out the double team. Um, every time the Celtics blitzed him, it, it was a wrap. So whether Kemba came to swipe down, Semi Ojale came to swipe, swipe down, they, they just did whatever they wanted against him when they came on the double team. So, but no, I, I want to make that clear. He, he, <laughs> and his cancer is not better than Joel Embiid, but at the same time, I want someone who's going to play hard and, you know, cancer and Tyson and Rob Williams um, to play really hard. So my biggest takeaways from this series um, are, are two things. First thing on the 76ers, I don't, I think Brett Brown as bad as he did in that series, I think, a lot of this criticism needs to go towards, I'm not sure if he was the, the GM at this time off last off season, but I think Elton Brand absolutely ruined this team with that Al Horford contract and bringing him into this mix. He took a team that already was lacking shooters, had too many big men and too many people that needed the ball in their hand to actually make impact on the game and brought in another big man, someone else who, isn't a spot up shooter. And that's exactly what that team needed. So I think he brought that team from one, he one player away from possibly a championship contending squad and brought in a player that brought them four players away from being a championship contending squad. Also, I, when it comes to the Celtics team, when it comes to those last two games in this series, but for me, the biggest thing that I saw from the Celtics team that really made me believe that they have a chance to actually do something this year were those blood in the water moments. Those moments where everything was on their back. They had the refs on their back. They had elimination on their back. They had everything going against them and it did not matter. You saw that with the Marcus Smart steal, the Jason Tatum block, all these plays that you just see that championship moment, that moment that, like we talked about in the rewrap, that, oh, my God, we can do this moment. There were plenty of them in this series, and those last two games to me were two of the best games and two of the most meaningful games I've seen this core play in quite some time. So I guess, you know, my biggest takeaway off the court now is the Hayward injury, right? Because now he's gone. Does he come back after that ankle sprain? Because we know that he was going to take time to leave again for the birth of his child in September. What does that do? And what are the ripples for the Celtics moving forward? I think it really stinks for the Raptors series. I think that it didn't matter at all. Like for all the reasons we just talked about, like the 76ers are phonies. So it, it we completely just kept going. They let Kemba get going, like I said before. But I think it really stinks for the Raptors series. I, I think that the advantage that we have on the Raptors, I mean, it's the advantage that we have on most teams, but the big advantage we have on the Raptors is, is wing play. And I think that when, you know, I, I've had my criticisms of Gordon Hayward comparatively to his contract, and I don't think his shooting has been where it was when he was in, um, in Utah. But he definitely play makes really well. He pushes the ball really well. And I really like how we move in the half court when he's, when he's playing, when he's on the court and he's, he's just had really valuable minutes since the bubble started. And actually like he's had a decent, pretty decent regular season, like probably his best performances since the injuries, the bad injury. So I think it's going to be tough with Toronto because they have, you know, they have good, decent guard play. I don't think as good as ours, but it would have been so helpful to be able to play make through Gordon Hayward when you're asking a lot defensively, a lot more defensively of Kemba Walker and Marcus Smart than you were in the 76ers series. I do think like we're going to have to play a lot better, obviously, to have a chance. You know, something to watch for, too, is that Lowry injury, too. Like they say, he sprained his ankle as well, too. So, you know, but, I, you know, he's, he's someone that, you know, he seems pretty tough um, from outside looking in. So I'm, I'm assuming he's going to play. But for, for Haybert, I do think he probably comes back if they make the conference finals. Because I do see the series going to seven, and we'll get into that um, shortly. But I just think that from a playmaker standpoint, like it's going to be hard because now you may be asking more of Jalen Brown to be more of a playmaker. You're asking Tatum to be more of a playmaker. I think Brown is a better playmaker than Tatum right now. And if you ask me, um, I just see some passes in that Philly series. That I'm like, I'm not sure Tatum could make that, but Jalen Brown could. So hopefully those guys can tap into that this series and kind of have them on the heels. But I really think that this series is more so about what Kemba Walker will do against Kyle Lowry than anything else. But hopefully, like I said, Gordon Hay was able to come back after the series. But I, I think we will we definitely miss his playmaking ability. And honestly, we'll miss his defense, too. He, 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 play, he defends pretty well uh, for his position. So. so to piggyback off exactly what you just said, I think the best part about the Celtics team is that they have Tatum and they have Brown. 
But when it comes down to it, those two don't need to have the ball in their hands with four seconds left on the clock. It's not all on them. It's on Kemba. So I think that that's such a big thing with them where it's not something where if it comes down to it, they need to take that last shot for us to win the game because they know they don't have to. They have the guy with the biggest balls I've ever seen on a basketball court ready to shoot that ball and win that game for them every single time. So I think that's also a huge point. So before we get really into uh, talking about uh, the series between uh, Dave Clark's Celtics versus Bob Kelly's Toronto Raptors, uh, I, I really want to talk about like what's happening, uh, you know, uh, on the court and really preview that. But I think we should, we'd be remiss not to talk about the fact that there might not be game one uh, because of the, you know, awful events of when another African-American was shot by, by a police officer, uh, Jacob Blake. And so there are multiple teams expressing interest in boycotting as, as, uh, as kind of like their call to action and their stand against it. Um, so I'd be really interested in, in everyone's opinion and take on that. And, and Rayshon, I'll, I'll let you lead. I do. Uh, so I'm excited for this series, you know, but I do understand if they choose the boycott game one, uh, because of what happened, you know, with, uh, you know, Mr. Blake getting shot, you know, seven times by law enforcement. But I, I just think that, and it's unfortunate to say this, but it's just, it's just a fact. Like, I think with, there's a lot of financial implications that go on that are tied to this. So whether it's for the players on the court, whether it's for the NBA, I think it's something that it would be spoke about in length. But I, I just don't see it happening where it's only them doing that. Because really, you would have to say that it's going to be the whole NBA shutting down for the second round for that for that game one or the next game, depending on uh, what series is still going on. I understand the premise. I understand the desire to do it, but I, I, I don't I don't foresee that really happening. But however, I do hope that they still speak about what's going on. I hope they highlight what's going on because, like I said, that part that that part has been great. So whether it's been Jalen Brown, whether it's been Donovan Mitchell, because he's probably been the most outspoken about it. Uh, Chris Paul, LeBron. So, you know, continue to use that platform, but I just, I don't see a, a, a scenario where they miss game one uh, because of, like I said, honestly, just because of a monetary thing, to be honest. And that sucks to say, but that's just, that's just what it is. At the end of the day, it's, it's still a business. You know, they, they're still, they may still have to be out there to, to play. So I think that, you know, I, we've talked about this at, at great length and, uh, and also on all of our other shows, the NBA is doing it right. They're allowing their players to be vocal, um, to display all, all the things that should be uh, being displayed at this current time. I guess my question to you, to you, Dave, is do they, do you think that they've lost some of their footing because of the bubble? Wouldn't it be easier? Wouldn't they have more of a, of, of ground to stand on if they were playing in Milwaukee per se, right? And they said, listen, you guys need to not show up for, for tonight's game and lose out on all that revenue. Yeah, I, I think so. But at the same time, it's, I understand why it's hard to focus on basketball when you are in the midst of this kind of stuff. You know what I mean? When every few days now, it seems like you have to watch a video on the internet of a black guy getting shot by a cop or kneeled on by a cop. And that's someone who looks like you and your league is predominantly African-American and you, you know, yeah, the bubble's great. I'm, I'd be disappointed if it went away, but I, I understand the, the desire to, to bounce. I would say to them, you want to be in a position where you're getting a, in a, a camera shoved in your face every night, you know what I mean? And a microphone shoved in your face every night. That's where you want to be. It's, it, you know, Bobby made this point a few shows ago and I think it's a great one and I'm stealing it. It's uh, it's better to have a platform. You know what I mean? Uh, guys like LeBron James will sort of always have a platform. Like if he tweets something, it's going to become news, but not everybody, you know what I mean? Marcus Smart gets a, gets a uh, microphone shoved in his face before this game. And he, and he makes comments that I understand, you know, and, and he tries to sh bring perspective to, to, to this situation that maybe you, you or I wouldn't understand, you know, because he has a different experience as a black man in America. So because there's so many, there's so many of these incidents, you know, we, we start to become numb to it. So I do understand why he wants to do is why the NBA players want to do something that brings attention as, as a protest, some sort of action. It's, it's, it's tough to sit by and do nothing and just say the same things over and over again. Like, please stop doing this, you know, and, and not see any change. You know, the biggest protests about this subject in the history of the country and it, then you get another video a few days later. So I understand that the, and, and another man being shot seven times in the back, it's, it's absurd. 
So I understand the frustration and, and the feeling of hopelessness. What I would say to them is, that's your platform. You get a microphone put in your face every night and you don't have to talk about basketball if you don't want to. Yeah, no, I completely agree, DK. Like you just said, um, you know, we've been making this point since the beginning. Uh, I think they would be doing a disservice themselves, honestly, if they did cancel. Um, I think them canceling, honestly, kind of plays into anyone who supports that side of things' hands. Um, I think them actually having that microphone, them having that platform is something that means a lot to a lot of people. And for that to go away, I think almost takes it back a couple of steps just because I really feel like what affects that the most is hearing more people speak up, hearing more people talk about it. And the more you hear about it, the more it affects that other side and the more they they see that other side of things. So I just think that if you do take that microphone away, you do cancel these games. It really takes that platform away from those players. And I just don't think that that gets the outcome done that they're looking to get done. So assuming that they play uh, and, and there are no, uh, no postponed games or no pro, you know, no, no games that are, that are boycotted. I think one of the questions that we all had was, you know, are the Raptors overrated and why is the answer? Yes. I just, I just think that they're the weakest champion I've ever seen. And it's for obvious reasons. They lost Kawhi Leonard. Um, and for a little bit of history and backstory, Bobby, the real BK, and I have been going back and forth aggressively on our uh, group chat about the Toronto Raptors because I came out. I mean, there's a reason they call me DK Sizzle because these takes are hot. And I came out with, I think the Raptors stink. You know what I mean? And look. Of course, they don't stink as a basketball team. Of course, they're a high-level basketball team. They are the champions, even though they lost Kawhi. But I do think that they're a little overrated because there's this kind of overrated, underrated thing that happened to them. They were sort of underrated when Kawhi left. It was like, oh, they're done now. And then they were a little bit better than that. And now it's kind of like, oh, everyone says they're like unbelievable. I think it's a tough matchup for the Celtics because we don't have the kind of big men that they have. You know, I think with Gasol and, uh, and Ibaka, down low, I think that's going to cause us a lot of trouble. You know, we saw how difficult it was, except for in game four when Embiid had given up, like we talked about. We saw how difficult it was for Tice. He's so little at that position. You know, I think he's going to get bullied, especially with two guys down there. Um, I think that I, I don't like Van Fleet's game, like we've talked about, but he is crafty. You know, he's a crafty player, and I think that there's things that he can do to cause us trouble that might wear out a, a fresh-off injury Kemba Walker. Um, but I hundred percent think the Celtics are going to beat them in five games max. So, I mean, whatever you have to say about it, Bobby, I'm sure I know that they're your team and like, you know, you're on the bandwagon fully behind the Toronto Raptors. Now. All right. Listen, before we start crowding them, my team or whatever the case may be, I do think the Celtics are going to beat the Raptors. All right. Well, let me just preface with that, that I do think the Celtics are going to beat the Raptors in seven games. I just think that this is going to be one of the best series that we're going to see the entire playoffs. To me, the Raptors are a team that they're just almost impossible to prepare for. If you look at this team's lineup, they have six players in the playoffs that are averaging double figures. Kyle Lowry, Terrence Davis, Norman Powell, Serge Ibaka, Pascal Sakam, I can't even say his name, and Fred Van Fleet. All right, Fred Van Fleet is averaging 21 points a game. Granted, yes, that does mean that he's on a streak and that he is hitting those three-point shots right now. But for anyone to say, and this includes you, DK, that this team is not a good basketball team, to me, that's just blasphemy. And I know recently you have been coming around on the idea that they actually are a good basketball team, which I do appreciate. I just think that this is going to be one of the best series we've seen just because of how deep this team is and how much trouble that is going to give the Celtics. Because as we know, you know, Brad Wanamaker and Semi Ojale, Rayshon's favorite player, are not the answer coming off the bench. So I just think that's a really tough matchup for this team. They're going to struggle with it. And I think it's really going to test the will of the Celtics team. That's not what I'm worried about, Bobby. It's funny you say that because I think that everything you just described with the Toronto Raptors, we do better. And also, the, the guys that you're talking about, how old is Kyle Lowry? Like 50? He was drafted in like 2005, you know, and he's coming off an injury. It's like, I'm not worried about Kyle Lowry. Like Van Fleet, maybe, but like Van Fleet decided this year that he could score more than 11 points a game. So like, I'm not really that worried about him either. In fact, 
I was kind of coming around and then you started talking and I realized, no, the Toronto Raptors do stink. We're absolutely going to smash them. I'm a little bit worried about Ibaka and Gasol down low, but like, let's be honest, like the Toronto Raptors minus, minus Kawhi Leonard, the greatest playoff basketball player in the national basketball association right now. I really think that I I just think that the team basketball portion of it is really going to be problem for this team. I know you say you take out Kawhi. It makes this team so much different, but honestly, I think it brought the levels up of Pascal and Van Fleet and Ibaka to the point where they're not going to miss him as much as everyone thinks they're going to. And they haven't this season. They've proven that. From the beginning of this season, this team has been consistently one of the best in the NBA. They have, they have one of the best offensive efficiency ratings. They have, they have great rebounders, great scorers, and they have a great point guard, Kyle Lowry, who I know everyone here thinks is overrated. I know he, they think he's old. But listen, a late bloomer can't be hated on, all right? Just because he started being good when he was 36 doesn't mean that he can't be a quality point guard. <laughs> uh, I love it. But, um, no, so listen, so I think what, what the Celtics, right? So Kemba – Really great ISO guy. Tatum, really great ISO guy. Jalen, I think as well, was a, was a pretty decent ISO guy, right? So because they're so good at breaking you off the dribble and either getting their own shot or going to the, going to the, uh, to the basket, they sometimes fall in love with that. And I think sometimes because Toronto's so good defensively, that could actually fall into what they want Boston to do. Now, obviously, if the shots are falling, they have to adjust, obviously, but one of Toronto's stress really is how they move the ball, right? So, yes, they lost Kawhi Leonard. We get that. We can't overstate that enough. It's really by committee now. So, so whether it's like it's Lowry getting his, his 19 and 20, I think he gets like 19 and 8 um, on the year. Van Vliet is, is streaky. Like I said, yes, he, he's really blown up over the last year or so. He had a really good finals. I was excited with how – I was excited to see uh, how he performed in that finals and how he's done really throughout the year. Um, Siakam has become – an all-star, uh, but really the key to me really is how we control the big men, right? So um, with Gasol and Ibaka, those are guys that keep coming at you defensively, right? But because Gasol to me really is so slow at this stage of his career, I really feel like they should continue to put him in a pick and roll like every time, whether it's Kemba and Tatum, Kemba and Brown, you know, whoever, like, you know, Tice or whatever, like keep, keep putting him in that situation. Now he's going to get a few stops because he's an excellent defender, but I think if you keep running that at him, he's one going to get into foul trouble. Um, and then two, he'll be tied by the end of, of, of most games. I, I did think seven before I, I said seven earlier, but I'm talking myself as well as getting them in six games. Cause I just, I just think it's Boston's time. I really do. Jason Tatum, we're going to find out why, you know, he's an all-star and I think this is a series where Toronto finally misses Kawhi Leonard. Because like I said, obviously, Brooklyn wasn't, you know, they weren't much of an opponent, obviously, with how many guys they had missing. And I mean, my God, I mean, their bench scored 100 points in game four. 100 points. Like, that's insane. So if they do close to that, obviously, we're not going to do much. But they're not going to get 100 points on uh, the Celtics coming off the bench. But, you know, that's something to watch out for. But I do think the Celtics get them in six games. See, Rayshon's coming around. The games are slowly dropping, and everybody's slowly realizing the more you talk about Toronto, the worse they actually are in reality. At the end of the day, what they're doing well is the same thing that the Boston Celtics did well three seasons ago. Okay, Brad Stevens brought a team, a, a plucky young team into the playoffs season after season playing team basketball and running around and, and, and doing a, a great job on help defense and stuff. They're, they're us three years ago. And we're better now. I don't think you'd argue that, would you, Bobby? No, definitely not. Definitely not. I wouldn't argue that. But this team is not a plucky young team. That's the thing. Is like they are the opposite of that. Is they are a battle-tested team that already won the championship. Yes, it's minus Kawhi, but every single one of those pieces was there last year. I just think I agree with you. I agree with you. They're not a plucky young team. They play like a plucky young team, but they're a hundred years old apiece. Right. And it's like, oh, oh, yeah, they just lost Kawhi. It's like, come on. It's like, oh, man, my car, it's a great car. It's an amazing car. I just don't have any wheels. Just no tires. All right. I think that if you were really bullish on, on the Celtics, you would, you would pick them in four. Celtics in four. I still think it's going seven. 
uh, and and I will stand by that till till until it goes seven because that's what's going to happen. This this is going to be a great basketball series. I think Jason Tatum is going to be too much, and I think by the end of this series, we are going to be talking about the Jason Tatum takeover of the NBA. I just think that this is going to be the series that that happens, and you know why? Because he's going to take down the defending champions by himself in seven games. That game seven is going to be like the Paul Pierce coming out story. It's going to be like the game seven that we've been waiting for from Jason Tatum. And it's because the Raptors are the defending champions. It's going to make that. This isn't, this isn't the defending champions though. This isn't the defending champions that we're playing. Kawhi Leonard's not there. And I, I actually like, even though it's a bullish on the Celtics point, I actually don't agree with you. Like if Jason Tatum, balls out on the Raptors, that's no surprise to anybody. He's gone through two series where both teams have nobody that can guard him. Like, who's guarding Tatum? Do you even know who's going to match up against him? And, like, when we start playing? No. No, definitely not. So, I mean, they're, they're probably going to have Siakam guard him. But, I mean, it's either going to be Siakam on Tatum or Siakam on Jalen Brown. But, I mean, that, that's up to, like, Brad Stevens really has to have a good series against Nick Nurse because Nick Nurse can coach. Um, regardless of what we may think about Toronto's team and how they may perform, you know, he's the coach of the year for a reason, even though I believe it should have been Billy Donovan for what he did in OKC. Like I said, they are talented. They are, they are cohesive. They do play well. But we cannot come in thinking like a fan. As, as like, the Celtics cannot come in thinking like a fan, like, well, we got them. They have to come in and really execute. If they don't execute, they will be coming home. Yeah, I don't want the Celtics to think that way. I want the Celtics to take them way more serious. I don't want them to listen to me. I, don't, I, don't want, them, I want them to take them every team that they play as seriously as they possibly can. I don't, I'm good with that. They should go in and play hard. Everybody's here for a reason, you know what I mean? Everybody's – like, they have a better record than us. Like, I, I get that. I just think, as I've made the point before, I just think their record's a little bit inflated. You know, I think they beat up on smaller teams, and I think that – like you guys say, like the momentum is just with the Celtics right now. Like they beat the Nets. Like who cares? And in that last game, you know, I think we beat them 122 to 100. Now that changed my perspective a little bit. Cause I was like, man, like I didn't think that we would be 20 points better than them. And I don't expect that to happen. I feel like it's going to be a close series no matter whether Toronto wins or Boston wins, but it opened my eyes. And I said, man, like, okay, that's the key. Like if you move the ball, you get up in their airspace you're going to have a good chance to win. And we were all over them all night. And then, like I said, we got to the hole when we wanted. And like I said, it was back and forth, kind of, kind of seesaw the first half, even into the third quarter. And then just like that, it went, you know, it went the Celtics' way. So, but the thing is, the Celtics have to be disciplined and not fall in love with thinking, okay, because we're the Celtics, because we're, we have so much talent on the team that we can just, we can just show up because that, that's not the case. Toronto's not going to go away. They're not going to quit like Philly. So you, you, have to keep, you have to take it to them and step on their neck when the time is right and we'll be going to the conference finals. So it sounds like everyone here thinks that Bob's not going to have any use for those uh, Raptors footy pajamas past, past this series. Uh, I think it's going to go probably, probably six games. DK thinks four. Rayshon thinks six in favor of the Celtics. And, and Bob, you're still saying you're, you're hedging your best because we're, we're all located near, near Boston. But you, you still think that the Celtics are going to win this in seven? Yes. Yes, I do. And, and that's what I want to make clear here is, is I do think the Celtics are a better basketball team. I do think they have the momentum going into this series. I just think this is going to be one of the best series that we're going to see the entire playoffs. And, and I think it's because we have two of the most talented, pure basketball teams that we're going to watch on the court for the next week and a half. And I think by the end of this, we're all going to have huge basketball boners. And you guys are going to be like, wow, those Raptors actually were really fun to watch. I think you were suspiciously um, knowledgeable in the hockey segment of this podcast. And I think that you are secretly Canadian because you love the Toronto Raptors more than the Celtics. <laughs> so I mean, there's no, no better way to close, uh, close out that segment. So I'm just gonna do one little rapid fire segment here. Where you guys each have 30 seconds just to say, you know, whether it's goodbye, hello, whatever you want to say, Bobby, you can start. What is your closing thought? So I just want to say that I think everyone out there, um, should listen to the rewrap series that is coming up over the next couple weeks. Uh, first episode dropped Tuesday. Next episode drops next Tuesday. We break down the 2001 New England Patriots, um, all the emotions. You even hear Joe Malcolm cry. So that's something that, you know, everyone wants to hear. Um, aside from that, Celtics and seven, Jason Tatum is going to come out as an NBA superstar by the end of the series. 
Uh, yeah, if you've made it this far, thank you for listening to the show. Thanks for uh, subscribing. Um, we, we love you over here as much as uh, I love the Boston Celtics and as much as Bobby loves the Toronto Raptors. Um, thanks for listening. Uh, we love it. Celtics and Fout. Yeah, I also thank you all for listening. You know, appreciate those that subscribe so far. You know, continue to spread the word. Um, you know, Celtics is six, but more importantly, you know, let's arrest the cops that kill Breonna Taylor. No better way to close out the show. So for Rayshon Buchanan, the real BK, Bob Kelly, DK, Dave Clark, I am uh, Michael Marcangelo saying thank you so much for listening to episode two of the SNSW podcast found on the SNSW network. And Craig, take it away. Thank you, Mike. And thank you all for tuning into episode three of the SNSW podcast. I am Craig D'Alessandro. If this is your first time finding us, please consider subscribing. It's the easiest way to find out when we publish new episodes. The show notes and transcript of today's episode can be found in the description box below, as well as our WordPress and Buzzsprout pages. We are on iTunes, Spotify, Google, and generally wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to rate us and leave a review of any of our shows. We appreciate the feedback. And until next week, I'm Craig D'Alessandro. Thanks for tuning in. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Acid. Mile, are you ready to record our promo for Season 2 of the Wanna Bet Podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that Season 2 starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.